0: Uh, Will Ferrell stars in a movie called Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, He plays a tax auditor, Harold Crick. One day he begins hearing in his head the voice of an author, played by Emma Thompson, narrating her new novel. The twist is it's a novel about him, Harold Crick. And as he does things and thinks things during the day, uh, he hears her voice as she narrates them as they happen. As she types the words onto her page, he does the things that she types. He is the main character in her new novel. He lives her new novel. He's the uh, the only one who can hear her voice and he thinks he's going crazy. What would it be like if your author, the one who invented and created you, began to communicate with you? What would it sound like? What would you think? How would you begin to get your head around it? How would it change the way you viewed your life? What sort of perspective would it give you? I know it's only a movie, but perhaps it's not so crazy because as bizarre as it sounds, it's not the first time that the author has contacted the characters. Uh, You see, that's exactly what these verses from John chapter 1 are describing. Uh, But here, instead of characters in a novel or in a movie, this is real. The author of the universe, God himself, has contacted his creatures. He stepped into the story and narrated his word to his characters. John chapter 1 is no less mind-blowing than this movie because it describes how the eternal God, who is outside of history, outside of time and matter, outside the world we can comprehend, chose to enter it to communicate with the characters he created. Uh, Communicating with God is something people all over the world uh, have always been interested in. Uh, The Mind Body Spirit Festival is on in May this year at the Sydney Showground and it will offer people hundreds of different spiritual experiences uh, as well as lots of different ways, at least they advertise this, of being able to communicate with God however you want to define God. There is a smorgasbord of spiritualities. There are your usual psychics and astrologers and palm readers and crystal ball and tarot card readers. But also advertised, there will be gay, a gifted clairvoyant medium who promises to introduce you to the angelic realm, angels who want to help you live with peace, joy, health and happiness. Uh, You can also find out about a canker, a philosophy that advertises itself like this. The purpose of a is to make God an everyday reality in your life. As soul, you have God knowledge within you. The teachings of a will awaken the knowledge and love for the divine things that are already in your heart. The road to God is the adventure of a lifetime. So they advertise. Uh, you can also meet Regida who is a shaman, ascension activator and sacred geometry templator. Her, spiritual, uh, her speciality is assisting clients to come into the fifth frequency embodiment. It's interesting. You can also meet uh, Nanta and she'll provide you with time-honoured wisdom, knowledge and practical instruction taught to her by her incredible spirit team who work with her from the highest spiritual truth. Now, that's just some of the options. I spent ten minutes looking through the website. But there's a problem with all of these options. As well as a problem for the hundreds, maybe thousands of people who wander around the festival. It's the characters trying to reach out to the author rather than the author contacting the characters. It's impossible for creation to bridge the gap to the creator because it's the creator who decides the ground rules. It's the Creator who builds the bridge. We have no way of knowing what God is like unless He tells us, unless He makes the first move. As a young man, C.S. Lewis struggled to believe in God. But as he grew to sense that God was real, he realised how impossible it was for him to make contact with God. Now, here's what he says in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. It gradually dawned on me that even if my own philosophy were true about what God is like, how could the initiative lie on my side? If Shakespeare and Hamlet were ever to meet, it must be by Shakespeare's doing. Hamlet could initiate nothing. If the author and the character are going to meet, it's up to the author to write the story in such a way that that's possible to write himself into the story so he can meet the characters. Unless God chose to make himself known to people, we would have no chance of meeting God. We'd be groping in the dark about what he was like and what he wanted. We'd be deaf and dumb and blind. But in John chapter 1, we read of God who does write himself into the story, who communicates with us, who communicates by... A word. Uh, verses 1 to 5, painting, or 1 to 3, he paints the whole picture in the broad brushstrokes. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. That's Jesus, God's Son, and this short paragraph says some incredible things about Him. But perhaps the most obvious is that title, the word. Now theologians have written enough books to fill a room about that title but at its most basic it's fairly simple. What do words do? They communicate. We use words to tell people about ourselves, what we're like and what we're thinking. It's perhaps not until we don't actually have words that we realise how much we need them. We had some profoundly deaf people in our, uh, our last church for a while. Uh, they came because of their children who were hearing and uh, they'd sort of very patiently sit through the service and pick up what they could. Uh, and I'd stand next to them at morning tea and try to communicate. I didn't know any sign language apart from good uh, and they couldn't really hear my words or lip, uh, lip read very well. And so we made do with the very barest of symbols. I couldn't tell how things were going for them and I couldn't really tell them how my week had been. I had no idea what it was like to be deaf, what it was like to try to drive or communicate on the phone or communicate with people or go shopping. It was probably frustrating for both of us. Without words, we're in the dark. These verses tell us though that God has given us a word. He's spoken through his word His son is his personal self-expression. God learned our language, the language of flesh, to communicate with us. We're not told the specifics just yet, exactly how this word communicates, but we're told that it's accurate. Whatever God is, the word is. The word communicates who God is precisely and completely. In the beginning was the word. This word is eternal, just as God is. Uh, This word is not bound by time. He was there before the universe, before time. He's outside. Uh, You might hear people say, uh, it's not working now, did you? Oh well, it's not working. Did you touch something? No? Okay. Alright, it's really not working now. You may hear people say, I was there when they opened the Sydney Harbour Bridge in 1932 or the Opera House in 1973. I was there uh, when man walked on the moon in 1969. And people say it and it shows they've been around for a long time. But if someone said to you, I was there when Sydney Harbour was carved out of the earth. I was there when the moon and the stars were put in place. Well, that's what Jesus says. He has always been. But he didn't just exist forever, he's actually brought everything else into existence. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. This word is the agent of creation. But not only that, in some way that's not really explained, he's not only with God, And he's not only the agent by which God creates the universe, but he he was God. He is God. He's the exact representation of who God is. He was with God and he was God. But that's not all. Like the movie Stranger Than Fiction and like Shakespeare writing himself into his own play, God speaks to his characters. He spoke by means of his word, by his son, Uh, Down in verse 14, we see how the Word communicates. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God didn't just speak his world into existence. He, He spoke to his world. He communicated himself but he didn't send an email or write a message on the clouds. The eternal God entered time. The invisible became visible. The infinite and powerful became finite and fragile. The word became flesh. He learned our language. He wrapped himself in skin, bones, hair and blood, complete with tears and sweat, complete uh, complete with sneezes and skinned knees. It's almost too incredible to imagine. It's weirder than any movie. But for for those of you who know your Old Testament, there are some hints here in verse 14, hints that can help us begin to understand it. The first hint is the phrase, made his dwelling. Uh, It's literally he tabernacled or camped tabernacled among us and the picture is meant to make us think of Moses and the people of Israel in the desert when God led them uh, by a cloud and a pillar of fire and God told Moses to make a tent called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting where God would come down and meet with his people. Listen to what God promised in Exodus 29 so I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. So the people built this tabernacle and when it was finally finished, God kept his promise. In Exodus 34, he came and dwelt with his people. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But when the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during their travels. It's that experience that John wants to remind us of in verse 14. The glory of God, his visible presence meets and dwells with his people because it helps us to understand the much greater entrance of God into the world, the much greater dwelling of God, not not in a a cloud or a voice but in a, a person, a visible presence who communicates much more clearly who God is. There's another hint there in the next phrase in verse 14. We have seen his glory... The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And there's another event in Moses' life in Exodus 33 and 34 that we're to be reminded of here. In chapter 33 Moses prays that God would show him his glory. He wants to know God's ways better. And God agrees and he says in 33:19, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you but you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And perhaps you know the story he puts Moses in the crack of a rock uh, until God passes by and then Moses gets to see uh, his back uh, but not his face. And we read in Exodus 34, verse 5 Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Not even Moses could see God. He got to see his glory, he got to see the radiance of his presence, like the glow that's around a candle. That's the glory of the candle or the radiance of the candle but not the candle itself. God says no one may see him and live. But do you see what it says in verse 14 of John 1? He says that he and his readers have seen the glory of God. Just like Moses but even better than Moses. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God was abounding in love and faithfulness. Jesus is full of grace and truth and I think we're meant to connect those two descriptions. The glory which is Jesus, the only one who can reflect God himself because he's the original. He is the one and only from God who's come from the Father and, and so he perfectly reveals God to us. God proclaimed that he was abounding in love and faithfulness. Jesus is full of grace and truth. As we keep reading, John keeps drawing this comparison between Moses and Jesus and he says in verse 16, From the fullness of God's grace we've received one blessing after another. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The first blessing was God revealing himself to Moses. That was great. But the second blessing was a much greater blessing, God's revelation through Jesus, because in Jesus we see God himself. Moses couldn't see God. He was the closest anyone else ever got to seeing God, until Jesus, that is. Because Jesus, as God's word, is God himself uh, making, uh, has made him known. Well, uh, that's a whole lot of amazing stuff to think about but it really begs the question, what do you do with information like that? You can't leave church this morning unchanged. If God had gone to such incredible lengths to speak to you how do you respond to that? Well, it's fairly obvious, isn't it? You make sure you're listening. When your Creator speaks, you make sure you're listening. It's like a plane before takeoff. The stewards are explaining the safety procedures, uh, where the life jackets are, and what to do with the face masks, and where the exits are. It's important information, you'd think, but do people listen? No, they're reading magazines and playing with their iPods and it'll never happen. They're only stewards. What would they know? But imagine if in the middle of the flight, the captain came over the PA and he said, we have a problem, one engine has dropped off, the other one is on fire, we're going to crash into the sea, I want you to listen very carefully to the safety instructions. What I tell you may save your life. Well, I think everybody would have—he would have everybody's 100% divided, undivided attention. They would listen, and then they would do. Well, isn't it much more the case with God? He's spoken a word to us. We need to listen. We'll find out more in the weeks ahead. But just here in the introduction, we get a fair idea about what we're to do, about what it means to listen to the word. There in verse 10 we read, He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. There are plenty of people in the world who treat Jesus just like that, just the way that the airline passengers treat the safety lecture. Not interested, too busy, it'll never happen. That's most people but, but John describes that not everyone refuses to listen. Verse 12 he says Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or a, hus- a human decision or a husband's will but born of God. So the first thing to do when you hear God's word, when you see Jesus is to to receive it, to accept it, to recognise that in Jesus God is really communicating to us. And the second thing that John's Gospel will keep saying again and again and again, you're going to get the same application every week, is to believe what you hear, to believe in his name, to trust his authority, to place your confidence in his life and his words and his work which as the story builds towards the end centres on his death and his resurrection. A sacrifice that pays for sin and restores our, our friendship with God. Receive, believe that's how you listen. And you do that, this, uh, and, and as you do that this verse makes an incredible claim. If you're someone who's received Jesus and believed in his name, verse 12 says he, he gives you the right to become a child of God. Nobody else can do that, but the author has created the plot line. He sets the rules and he adopts you into his family. The cost of that adoption is more than you could ever know, but from the end, from our end, the process of what we need to do is simple. We need to receive and believe. An adopted child has no idea about the process, has no idea about the heartache or the cost or the time or the effort that her new parents have to go through or or what happens in governments or agencies. But when the time comes for her to meet her new parents, only one thing matters. She puts her hands out and is lifted into the arms of her new father. Simple as that. She doesn't need to know how it all works. She becomes part of his family as she lifts up her arms. So can I ask you the obvious question? Is that something you've done? God has done the incredible thing of communicating his word to you and so the obvious thing to do when the author speaks to you is to listen, to put your arms out when your father holds out his to receive and believe and God will make you part of his family. If you've done that and many of us here have then let me encourage you to keep doing that. To keep listening. To keep recognising the glory of God reflected in Jesus. Keep letting Jesus' light shine on your life. Keep obediently following and gratefully worshipping in thankful wonder that even though no one has ever seen God, that God, the one and only who's at the Father's side, has made him known and he's made him known to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Help us to receive and believe in him. Amen.